thing. And Merry Christmas Eve. Hope you've had a wonderful day today. If you don't know me, my name is Adam. I'm part of the team here and it's just wonderful to have you with us tonight. If you're a guest, if you're a visitor, if someone's dragged you along, we're really glad that you could be with us. And it's my privilege just to open up and share with us from God's Word very briefly tonight. And in the passage that Emma just read for us, we're told about the birth of Jesus Christ. We're told about the arrival of God's promised King. And this is what I want to talk about a little bit tonight, the arrival of the King. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but in the movies that we watch and in the books that we read, they often revolve around a king. We love stories that involve kings and kingdoms. So, for instance, I think of uh, King Arthur in the Knights of the Round Table. I think of King Leonidas in the, uh, the movie 300, The Spartan King. Then you've got the Disney kings, uh, King Louis from The Jungle Book, King Triton from Little, Little Mermaid, and I even think of one of my favourite kings, King Julian from Madagascar. He's hilarious. But actually one of my favourite, favourite kings is Aragorn from The Lord of the Rings. Now, if you know the books and the, the movies... In the beginning, Aragorn is a bit of a mysterious figure. He's a a ranger from the north. But then as the story continues, it comes out that Aragorn is actually the heir of royalty. He is actually the rightful heir to be king of Middle-earth. And as the story moves on, Aragorn kind of leads the people into battle and he wins victory for them over uh, the forces of evil. And at the end of the book there's this scene where Aragorn is installed as king of Middle-earth. It's his arrival and his coronation as king and all of Middle-earth come out to to celebrate and to pay homage to King Aragorn. And, And this is what we expect when a king arrives on the scene. We expect power and pomp and ceremony and subservience to the king. Think about another well-known king, the Lion King. When Simba is presented as heir to the throne, there's this huge ceremony that takes place at Pride Rock. All the animals assemble and they sing and rejoice because of the arrival of the king. And this is what we expect when a king arrives. And this is what makes the arrival of King Jesus so shocking. This is what makes Christmas so unexpected. Because when we turn to look at the arrival of Jesus Christ in human history, God's promised King, we find it to be completely different to what we would normally expect. There's no crowns, there's no choirs, there's not even much of a crowd. You see, Jesus' arrival in human history, God's promised King, is extraordinarily ordinary. Now, there are some extraordinary elements that attend uh, Jesus' arrival. We're told in other parts of the Bible there's guiding stars, there's wise men, there's even an angelic announcement. But on the whole, the arrival of King Jesus in human history is shockingly ordinary. And this might lead you to think that it's not that important. It's not that big of a deal. But that would be a huge mistake. 
You see, the humble, ordinary arrival of Jesus Christ in human history, it actually teaches us some profound truths about God and about ourselves. And so before we go off to celebrate Christmas, before we go off to eat way too much food tomorrow and open presents, I want to just take a few moments tonight to point out three simple things that we can learn from Jesus' humble arrival in human history. Three truths that have relevance and importance for every single one of us here. You see, you might have been dragged along to church tonight. Maybe you were invited by someone and you've come along for the first time. Maybe you're part of the church family. I mean, however you've come in here tonight, these three truths that we're going to be exploring, they have life-changing relevance for every single one of us. And if we would open ourselves up to God tonight, this Christmas might just change the rest of our lives. So what do we learn from the arrival of King Jesus in human history? Three things. The first one is that the arrival of the king is historical. It's historical. Now, I think that many people, especially in modern Australia, when they read the account of Jesus' birth, the nativity scene, they put it in the category of myth or legend or fable. You see, in the minds of many, the details of the nativity scene, the wise men, the the manger, the shepherds, the star, they seem fanciful, they seem far-fetched, they seem more like fable than fact. But I want you to notice something important about the way that Luke tells us the tale. You see, when Luke wrote these things down, Luke is the writer of the gospel account that we read from just a moment ago. When he writes these things down, he's not intending to give us myth. He's not intending to give us legend. Look at how he starts his account in verses 1 to 3. We read, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Roman world, that is. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Now, Luke does not start his account by saying once upon a time. Luke does not start his account by saying a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Although a lot of us probably read those words this week, right? I did. I was a bit disappointed, but we're not going to get into that. Luke starts his story by saying, you know that year when Caesar Augustus had the great big census of the whole Roman world? That was the year when Jesus Christ was born. In other words, Luke is telling us this really happened and this is when it happened. And Luke is telling us implicitly that the birth of Jesus Christ is not fable or myth or legend, it is historical. Now why is Luke making this point? Why does this matter for you and for me? Well, the simple answer is that we need more than just another legend or just another myth. Because a myth cannot help us. You know, when we look around at the world, when we look into our own hearts, the things we think that no one else can see, the things we say when no one else can hear us, We see evil and darkness lurking all around us. And no amount of money or technology or education seems to be making a difference. We just don't seem to have the resources or the ability to save ourselves or to save our world. And what this means is that we need more than just a myth about God coming to save us. What we need is for God to actually come to us. What we need is for God to actually break in from the outside and intervene in our mess. 
And the claim of the Christian faith, the message of Christmas, is that this is exactly what God has done. That God has come near to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And Luke is telling us here that this is not fable, it is historical fact. In fact, did you know that no credible historian doubts that Jesus Christ of Nazareth existed? Let me give you an example. Historian John Dixon is a historian from Macquarie University, a pastor as well. He says, I will eat a page of my Bible if someone can find me, just one full professor of ancient history, classics or New Testament in an accredited university somewhere in the world who thinks Jesus never lived. I don't deny that there are substantial questions that could be raised about the Christian faith, but the historical reality of Jesus of Nazareth isn't one of them. The arrival of the king is historical. And I know that this doesn't answer all your questions about Jesus and about who he is and about why he came. I'm simply saying that you need to wrestle with the fact that the existence of Jesus Christ, it's not fable, it's not myth, it's not legend, it is historical. And the claim of Christianity is that Jesus Christ really is God with us. That God has really drawn near to us to save us. This is what we read in Matthew chapter 1, another one of the gospel accounts. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this truth is incredibly good news for you, for your life. And this is why Christmas is such a time of joy. Because Christmas tells us that God has reached out to us. That the eternal God of the universe loves us. And he loves us enough that he doesn't just send us a messenger. He doesn't just write in the sky. He doesn't just speak with an audible voice. He sends us his son. And Luke is telling us that this really happened. Light has really dawned on us. We can have hope for our world and we can have hope for ourselves. Because God has come. The second truth we can learn from the arrival of the king is that the arrival of the king is unexpected. You see, the claim of Christianity is that God has really come to us. But what we see here is that he has come in a way that is completely and totally unexpected. Let me ask you this. If you were the eternal or powerful God, how would you appear in human history? How would you make your grand entrance into the world? I can tell you what I would do. I would come with planets spinning on my fingers. I would come with stars shooting like fireworks behind me. I would have like a booming voice. I would make sure everyone knew I had come and they knew who I was. And I think that this is how most of us would expect God to appear. And yet, this could not be more opposite from the scene that we read in Luke chapter 2 at the arrival of Jesus. In fact, one of the things that stands out in Luke chapter 2 is the poverty and the humility of the scene into which Jesus arrives. I mean, when Joseph gets to Bethlehem, he doesn't even have the money or the connections or the status to be taken into a home for his wife to have a baby. They're forced to stay in the place where the animals were kept. It was most likely probably the room that was on the ground floor of a home. It would have been dirty and smelly and unhygienic. And when Jesus is born, he's not placed in a warm crib, he's placed in an animal feeding trough. 
Now, the nativity scene has been sentimentalised over the years. I mean, think about the uh, carol away in a manger. We sang it just a moment ago beautifully. It was, it was wonderful. But the lyrics of that song said, The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Now, that's nice. I'm just not sure that that's how it would have been. The cattle were probably pooping and Jesus probably was crying. You see, there's nothing sentimental about this scene. In fact, this scene isn't really meant to give us warm, fuzzy feelings. It it actually is meant to shock us. Think about who Jesus is. The Bible tells us that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the creator of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the second person of the triune God, the only begotten Son of God. In other words, this baby born in Bethlehem, placed in a feeding trough, is the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful, all-glorious Son of God. What kind of welcome did he deserve? Jesus deserved to have every person from every nation come and worship him. He deserved to have every creature in the entire universe come and bow down at his cradle. He deserved to have the creation itself offer him worship. Yet the very opposite takes place. Apart from a few visitors and a few animals, there's barely anyone there. John Dixon again says it this way. He says, The long-awaited king is born in almost total obscurity. The God of the universe is wrapped in swaddling cloths. The one who would become history's most revered name began life where the goats fed and relieved themselves in a manger. King Jesus arrived in the world and he did not arrive in power but in poverty. And this was and is totally and completely unexpected. Now why did Jesus come in this way? Why did Jesus come in poverty and humility and not strength and power? Well the answer is that the way in which Jesus came to earth tells us something about why he came to earth. In other words, the manner of his coming tells us something about the reason for his coming. Why did Jesus come to earth? He tells us this in Matthew 20, verse 28, his own words. He says, the Son of Man, a title for Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth not to be served by humanity, those who he created, but to serve humanity. He did not come to be crowned, but to be crucified. He did not come to demand our life for his, but to give his life for ours. You see, Jesus entered this world in humility because Jesus would ultimately lay his life down in humility. And the beginning of his life tells us something important about the end of his life. See, at the beginning of his life, Jesus was placed in a wooden feeding trough. At the end of his life, he was nailed to a wooden cross. At the beginning of his life, he was rejected by an innkeeper. At the end of his life, whole crowds cried out, crucify him. At the beginning of his life, he's wrapped in swaddling cloths. At the end of his life, he's stripped naked and nailed to a cross. Why? Because he, in his life and in his death, is receiving what we deserve. He is absorbing the penalty, the punishment for our sin and our evil. 
He's paying the penalty for our rejection of God and this is why he came. Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, the unexpected way in which Jesus arrives on earth tells us about why he came to earth. To reconcile undeserving sinners like you and me to God. The arrival of the king is unexpected. And the final thing we learn is that the arrival of the king is confronting. And the arrival of Jesus Christ as God's promised king is confronting because it tells us, it tells you and me, that Jesus is king and we are not. It tells us that Jesus is the centre of the universe and we are not. You know, in 1543, Nicholas Copernicus argued that the earth revolved around the sun and not the other way around as was popularly thought. And not long after that, Galileo picked up on that idea and he was actually condemned as a heretic for his belief. But it was true. The earth did revolve around the sun. And you see, people in that day didn't want to believe that. They wanted to believe that the sun revolved around us. But it wasn't true. And you see, we often live our lives as if the universe revolves around us. But it doesn't. It revolves around King Jesus. And this is good news. We only need to look around us to see the result of what the world looks like when we all live as if the universe revolves around us. You see, the good news of Christmas is that the true king of the universe, the true ruler of the universe has come. And he has come not to destroy us or to punish us. He has come to offer us peace with God. He has come to invite us into his perfect kingdom. He has come to give us hope for the future if we will trust in him. You see, sin and suffering and pain are all symptoms of trying to make the world revolve around us. But peace, forgiveness, healing and salvation are gifts for those who recognise Jesus as the true King of the universe and who bow their knee in worship of him. So let me just ask you, what's your response to King Jesus this Christmas? You have to respond. The claims and the identity of Jesus force you to respond. One scholar says this, he says, How can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human, that fire has become flesh, that life itself came to life and walked into our midst? Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It is either the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality in the world or it's a sham, a nonsense, a bit of deceitful play-acting. Most of us, unable to cope with saying either of those things, condemn ourselves to live in the shallow world in between. This Christmas, don't live in the shallowness of indecision and apathy about Jesus. What is your response going to be to King Jesus? Will you bow your knee to him? Will you receive with the empty hands of faith all that he freely gives to you? Forgiveness of sin, new life with God, adoption into God's family? Or will you refuse? Will you turn your back on Jesus? 
You're free to do that. But you must know that you will eventually bow to King Jesus. When he comes again, as he promised that he would, it will not be in weakness, but in power. And he will end all opposition to his good, right and just rule. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is the true king. And what this means is the time to respond is today, this Christmas. And if we will humble ourselves, open our hands to receive all that Jesus freely gives, we will find life and life abundantly, the life that God intended for us to have. Will you open yourself up to King Jesus this Christmas? If you will, it will change your life forever. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we have no other response to what you've done for us in and through your Son and our Lord Jesus but to humbly bow in thankfulness, in gratitude, in adoration and worship. Oh Lord, you freely give to us what we have not earned and what we do not deserve. You give it to us as a gift. And I pray for all of us in this room, Lord, that we might open ourselves up to you, that you might be recognised, Jesus, for who you truly are, the true King, our Saviour, Son of God. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all and have a Merry Christmas.